First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. All that I do or we do is not only locally. We are connected with a global audience. At least my focus is, you know, Middle East and, and Pakistan and Afghanistan. I hope and pray that I never forget my own people because uh, that's not who I am. He was born in Pakistan. He lives and ministers in the U.S., but he's never forgotten his country and its spiritual plight. You'll meet Sam Naman on this edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we'll begin the conversation shortly. Thanks for joining us for this week's interview. If you'd like to learn more about our guest or listen to any one of hundreds of past interviews, just go to firstpersoninterview.com. We also have a smartphone app, First Person Interview, that you can download for free in your respective app store. Dr. Samuel Naman is Professor of Intercultural Studies at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He's also President of the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago in the Little India neighborhood, and you'll find a link to his ministry at firstpersoninterview.com. From Pakistan, Sam Naman has a powerful personal story of faith, both his own faith and the faith of his family who suffered much for their beliefs. I caught up with him in his office in Chicago to talk about how God has led him through life, beginning with his present-day ministry. Yeah, so, you know, I serve here uh, in the field or department of intercultural studies. It, old name is missions. Uh-huh. So, I, I, I've been here for almost close to 24 years. I started as an adjunct in 1997, and uh, I have been teaching missions, uh, discipleship, world religions, cross-cultural communication, and many other courses. So, that's my quote-unquote, full-time job. That's why, as using Dr. Job's analogy, that's where I get my paycheck from. I mean, you know, I think, yeah. I think it's kind of refreshing to hear. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? You can work anywhere. You can get your paycheck from any place, but you preach the word. <laughs> so that is what is happening. Moody supports me financially, and I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that. Ministry-wise, um, uh, I'm a supervisor or faculty advisor of two, three groups. Mm-hmm. One is Student Mission Fellowship. One is what we call DOXA, Glory, it used to be gospel outreach, uh-huh. you know, personal evangelism, street ministry. Right. You know, we have gone through different stages. Um, so th- those are the student groups uh, that I serve with or I supervise. I am also, uh, I've been directing the Moody MBI's missions conference for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And this year, uh, we are uh, celebrating 100 years of Jewish studies. Wonderful. And 75 years of Moody Aviation. Wow. In October. Long so, and storied history yeah, of Moody Bible so, you know, of all I mean, these organizations. Uh, I was just doing a, another interview with uh, another colleague of mine, and she is saying, well, why are you so passionate about it? Because she knows me. She said, you know, you, your passion is Muslims and uh, Middle East, and but why Jews? And I said, you know, uh, Moody uh, is the probably the only accredited institution, mm-hmm. at least to my knowledge, in the U.S. that has a Jewish studies major. And our esteemed uh, Dr. Michael Radalnik and his team, you know, they have been serving. And before him, Dr. Goldberg and others. Yeah, yeah. So Moody has a long-standing history of uh, uh, focusing on Jewish people. Okay. And uh, we want to, you know, when I say we means our field, uh, we want to, to call, challenge a new generation yes. of uh, Moody's students, alumni, supporters, to never forget that. Yeah. legacy and heritage that we have been right and i'm separating you know and i this this morning also i was sharing that 
I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about whatever happens in the Middle East. That discussion we can have other thing. But where do we get this passion? We get it from the Word of God, from from Gen- Genesis, from creation story, from call of Abraham, and I can go on. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's that's our passion. We are looking forward to our our conference uh, next month, actually in October. Uh, in addition to that, I start I started or we founded a ministry called South Asian Friendship Center that yes. you know. I'm on the mailing list. Yes. Follow closely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, this year we are celebrating 25 years. So we'll talk more about that. Yeah, in a few yeah. Minutes, so, so so that is one thing. And then I also serve as a volunteer or vice president of a ministry called Call of Hope. Hmm. This is a ministry. Actually, it's a German mission. In Germany, it is called Evangelical Carmel Mission. It was founded on Mount Carmel. Uh-huh. In Israel, wow! And uh, they have been serving among the Muslims for over 130 years, similar to Moody, mm-hmm. but they only serve through the nationals. So, uh, my father was one of their missionaries in Pakistan, and now you know I'm the second generation, so I help them also. And in your spare time, <laughs> uh, in my spare time, I don't have much, <laughs> but uh, you know I I'm committed to my part of the world, which is Middle East yeah. and. Uh, yeah, we that's why we love you, Sam. That's, yeah. that's why we so yeah. admire the way God has equipped you. Let's talk about where it began for you. Yes. It began in the country of Pakistan. It began in the country of Pakistan, uh, in the home of a former Muslim, my father. Ghulam Masih um was his name. And he came to Christ through several different avenues. I mean, you can Google his testimony. It's on the web. My grace is sufficient for you. It's amazing that this morning we heard a sermon by Dr. Ford uh, on grace. Yeah. And uh, so he came to Christ. Um, parents got married kind of arranged by missionaries because, I mean, he was a wanderer. He was uh, a convert in Pakistan those days. We are talking about 1950s. You don't have a home. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't have a family. Mm-hmm. So he was mentored and discipled by, at the moment it's called World Venture, but those days it was called Conservative Baptist Foreign Mission Society. Oh. They were on CBI. Uh-huh. So he was mentored and discipled, joined the Anglican Church uh, because... Uh, as he traveled all over Pakistan, uh, there was a Anglican bishop, a Brahmin convert, Dr. Chandu Ray, and he said, you know, Ghulam, you need to go to seminary. So he sent him to seminary and came down in the southern part of Pakistan in Sindh. And um, they couldn't have a child, my parents. And they prayed that if God will grant them a child, they'll dedicate that child uh, for the Lord's work. And so I was born. And I was told when I was growing up that from the right, uh, straight from the hospital, they took me to the church and put me at the altar and gave me up for the Lord. Is that right? Yeah, that was 1960, huh. September 19th. And I did not, re- I mean, I could not imagine whatever happened, but 30 years after that dedication, I figured out, oh, okay, so mm-hmm. this is what it will cost. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a very simple home. This is before, you know, electronics and all that stuff. And uh, school, uh, home, tuition, play, and evening devotion, you know. As a Christian family, though. Yes. Living dad, in that yeah, part of the world. My dad, my dad actually was serving in a local church, in a, you know, a church of Pakistan. That couldn't have been well accepted in no, the community it, at large. No, it was very, very hard. And I think, so he was pastoring a local church, but in addition to his pastor pastorate, he was also going out in the villages. And you, you, you bring a very good point. I think two things really struck me. Uh, well, before that, I accepted Christ as my personal savior in a family devotion. It was, as I said, it was, mm-hmm. it was our tradition, or or that had to happen every uh, night. 
before going to bed, whether my dad was at home or not. My Very mom, memorable experience yes, for you. Yes, of course. Very simple. Wow. You know, sitting on the floor, singing and reading the scripture and praying together. So I was nine years old, 1969, when I accepted Christ. Uh, as I was growing up, you know, uh, high school or even before high school, two things struck me. First was uh, just tremendous persecution. And persecution from Muslims, we get it because uh, legally minorities, any non-Muslim in Pakistan is considered a minority. We do not, en- uh, we do not enjoy equal rights legally. You know, constitutional minorities. Sure. Yeah, right. so, so that was a shock. Secondly, when I saw the mistreatment of uh, mostly village Christians by their Muslim landlords, it was annoying and irritating. I got very angry. And I, asked, I used to ask my dad, I said, you know, why do we have to suffer this way? I mean, where is justice? You know, I mean, it's common sense. But he always kept on encouraging me and, and kind of reminding me that, you know, you have to carry your cross. You have to carry your cross of being a disciple. Growing up, I couldn't understand that that much. But that was his always. I mean, he didn't argue with me. He didn't give me a sweet way out or whatever. But he always said that as a believer, we will always suffer in this in this. Hmm. Uh, well, and I think when that kind of shaped my theology also at a very early age, before even going to seminary, pain, persecution, suffering is a beauty and it's a nugget that we have as believers. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery, but yeah. that that's what it is. Right. So, um, you know, growing up, I mean, high school came. Public school? Public school. Oh, yeah. Public school in a sense that, you know, it was a Catholic school, but of course it's owned okay. by the government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two things my parents gave me. Um, they tried their best to give us the best education. So I went to Roman Catholic schools and they tried to feed us well because they said, well, if you are healthy and if you study hard, uh, you can manage in, in life. High school was hard. Um, my father was sick with kidney stones. One of his kidney was removed. Another one had a large stone. You have brothers and sisters by yes, this time. Yes, by the time, you know, I have I had a younger sister and I had a younger brother. Also, you know, so three of us. Mm-hmm. Mom, dad, younger sister, and younger brother. And um, my father was almost dying. And um, he was not able to preach every Sunday. And with all the other medical complications, um, uh, he told me uh, the church or the district actually stopped his salary. So now he's dying in the hospital, penniless. His salary, there's no salary, but the church was very good. Congregation was very faithful. And uh, they supported us. They brought food, gave us food and everything. But in this trauma, in this difficulty, my father asked me, he said, you know, uh, what are you going to do with your life? Because then he reminded me again, you know, we prayed for you. We dedicated you for the Lord's work. And I don't know when, where, did, where did I, as an Asian, I don't know how or where I got this guts, you know. And I, I, I asked my father, as I told him, I said, you know, Dad, is this the life that you want me to have? Um, you know, you're, you're penniless. You know, you were abandoned by your family, persecuted, almost killed. And the now you have been serving with this church and with this uh, district and, you know, your salary is cut. And uh, is this the life that you have? So, Again, I think he was a he was a man full of grace. He never he never argued with me. He, he didn't say why, but you have to do it. No, uh, he just kept quiet. And but I saw his tears from his eyes. So I, I knelt in the same room, and I and and again, my philosophy of prayer is vain. I do not need to remind my heavenly Father 
that what he does. He should do. He knows what he needs mm-hmm. to do. But I can go to the throne of grace uh, using Leslie Lube, uh, Newbigin's uh, terminology. I come to, the, or maybe not his own, but actually that's what he could. I go to the throne of grace. I go to Calvary as a beggar. Mm. So I went to Calvary. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I cannot imagine being an orphan at this age. If it is your will, not that you have to do it, your promises, you claim it. If it is your will, will you consider giving new life to my father? Uh, and that will be a sign that you really want me to serve you. Nothing dramatic happened, but deep down in my heart, I had amazing peace. And next morning, my mom came, uh, you know, who used to work in this government hospital as a director of nursing school. And she said, well, your dad is very peaceful, and so are you. What happened? And uh, so I told her what happened. And she said, well, we'll keep praying. You know, mm-hmm. church was praying, congregation was praying, missionaries were, everyone was praying. Well, he was almost, by that time, he was in the hospital for six months. And uh, the stone started to break and uh, came out. And after that, there was no running away. Because I saw, you saw what God, God did. God yep. did, yeah. Yep. And, and, and again, it's not a high-powered, pressured thing. It was just the calmness that God showed up in a mighty way. We'll continue to get to know Dr. Samuel Naman on this edition of First Person. Stay with us after this message. I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Dr. Sam Naman, who is at Moody Bible Institute, has the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. But we were talking about your calling uh, yes. after your salvation, Sam. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm so delighted to be able to sit down and talk again. We, we sure. talked many, many, many years many ago times. about this. <laughs> yes. But I'm, I'm so glad to bring it to this audience here on First Person. Uh, trouble came to your family with your brother. Yes. Um, my brother, we were very, Wayne, we were very active in our outreach. I, I started with OM joined crew now crew campus crusade so we were very active in in, in global proclamation you know street preaching everything so by that time after i i you know after uh, i i rededicated my life actually in a in an operation mobilization om meeting okay um gave my life to christ uh, you know rededicated my life then i went to south korea to study theology um at uh, at a university and in that time um my father started getting threatening letters, phone calls from the underground Muslim movement because they were sick and tired of what they were seeing on the streets, you know, teams coming in, going mm-hmm. out, giving mm-hmm. gospel literature distribution. And they told him, he said, they said, you know, you stop the work and leave the city, otherwise we are going to kill your son. And they knew that I was not there. They said, well, you know, we know that one of your son is not here, but we have the younger one. And um, of course he didn't give up because he himself you know, came out from that background. And then, then they carried out that threat on June 2nd, 1990. Your brother was a believer. My brother was a born-again, solid believer, getting ready. Uh, he had several degrees, but he was getting ready to go to, to seminary to become a full-time missionary. So he was assassinated? Yeah, he was shot. One bullet. He, they came and shot him right in front of that church. Oh. And, it, you know, he, I mean, he, was, he, he died instantly. When did that happen? June 2nd, 1990. 
You never forget the date. Will no, you? oh no, no. It it is still very fresh because I still remember the phone call by a Korean medical doctor who called me and who gave me the news. And uh, so we were devastated. Um, yeah, I mean, but the beauty is this: that even that time, I mean, we have trauma, pain, process happen. But my father actually uh, was able to pull himself together, and he preached, and he preached on forgiveness, oh, and he said, you know, I am a former Muslim. He himself was an extremist terrorist, mm. and you know he killed many mm. Hindus in jihad mm. between India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And India and right, Pakistan yeah. divided. There's a long history and, there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he said that you know I have done it, but I want to to forgive the people who shot my son. So much so that if someone can take me to them, I'm willing to kiss their hands. Now, you know, in our Middle Eastern Asian culture, kissing the hands is giving the highest honor. You know, you come in. And uh, people thought that uh, he's gone mad. He's gone, you know, crazy. Because how can you do it? Your son is there, and you know. But he said, "I have preached on forgiveness for thirty plus years." Who but God would ask him to do that? Yes. And this is the time. I cannot. I mean, I cannot say well that well after that everything was fine. No, I mean it was very traumatic. My mom actually never recovered from that trauma. He we moved to another place. My dad processed the pain in his own way. I came when I came home from South Korea. There was no home. We became uh, refugees in our in our country, and uh, my sister uh, saw that. You know, she she saw him, my my brother being shot, mm. and she herself was a physician. And you know, the trauma that she was not able to save her, you know, her her brother. So we all four of us processed the pain in a different way. By that time, I had already been accepted to do my doctoral work at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. And um, so I told my parents, I said, you know, I don't think that I will go to America to study. Because as, a, as an older son now, uh, you know, I need to take you care of You felt responsibility. Yeah, of course. It's not even a question, Wayne. It is what it is. But then they reminded me that, remember, we gave you up 30 years ago. Oh, so okay. I was, yeah. And, and he said, my parents said, this is the time. And uh, they told me, they said, you know, God has been providing. God will take care of you. You carry on what God has called you to do. And your brother, actually, your brother would have liked you to continue. Mm. So I came to this country with one bag, started my doctoral work. 1992, Islamic law or the Sharia law was, quote, unquote, accepted or passed by the National Assembly. And my mentor was uh, an Islamic scholar, you know, who taught world religions at seminary, Dr. Zahnheiser. And he knew exactly what Sharia law is. You know, he was a scholar. And uh, he said, uh, you need to prayerfully consider finding another path. Because he, by that time, he knew me that much. And he, he said that, you know, if you go back, basically, you'll be killed. Because you're not going to keep quiet. It's just unsafe for you yeah, to go. Yeah, because they, he said that, you know, we know that you will, you, it's basically writing your own suicide statement. And uh, that was very traumatic, very difficult. Because... I could not imagine not going back. You know, I said, no, <laughs> my people, you know. But there again, Wayne, some of the prayer partners at Asbury Seminary, and especially one of my very good colleague, colleague uh, Dr. Da- Anthony Donaldson, and he asked me, he said, Sam, have you ever thought of how, my, how much God's people have invested in your life? Well, he, he said, first of all, how much have you paid for your education? Zero. You know, in Korea, the Korean church provided. At Asbury, the, they offered me a tuition scholarship. Yes, I cleaned dishes. Yes, I worked in the library <laughs> to pay for my food. But no, I have not paid. 
and they said God's people have have invested a lot and could it be possible he didn't say you should he said could it be possible for you that God may be using you or calling you to a different thing your vision is the small box maybe God wants to enlarge your vision and I said Anthony but you also know a lot of people will say oh he's gone to the west and uh, you know of course you know uh, forget the rest and you know uh, whatever you know you've never forgotten no no never Ever. And worked on behalf of you. Exactly. People. Yeah. So he said, "Well, maybe God will use you in a marvelous way." And I think that started a new chapter. Ninety-three. I came to Chicago as a summer intern with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they told me later on, not that time, they told me you are a guinea pig because <laughs> I mean the DS told me district. He said we had no clue. We were we didn't know what Muslim ministry is in Chicago or Hindu ministries. So you were a guinea pig, but. I asked later on that our church planting director uh, Jim Kester who's in heaven now. I said Jim Jim why did you call me or why did you reach out? He said we could see the passion in your eyes. Which is a great place for me to bring up the South Asian Friendship Center sure. and your ministry in the city of Chicago yes. this this adopted city of yours yes. that you ended up in and have been here for so many years. Yes. What is the South Asian Friendship Center? Where is it? Yeah, South Asian Friendship Center is in Little India, West Rogers Park. Little India. Little India. It's called Little India. I wonder if even Chicagoans know there's a little India well, here. Well, they know. I mean, you know, because on the north side when you when you walk on the street or 6300 or all that block east from Loyola University on Dewan or Devon Avenue, you will see shops and grocery stores and, and restaurants. Actually, it also smells that way. And uh, if you are being in South Asia, you'll think that you are either in Mumbai or Delhi or Karachi. Hmm. It's that. And, and on both sides of the streets, you have apartments and, you know, okay. three-unit buildings full of uh, Indian. So that's Pakistan. the place where you've yeah. planted this ministry center. We had a bookstore for 20 years, right, on both sides of Talman Avenue. And it was a, a kind of a launching a ministry when we started. Uh, there was nothing like this that existed in North America. And Moody students have been part of it from the very beginning. You know, So we had a bookstore, then we had a copier, photocopier, Xerox machine. But that was the place that gave, that gave us the platform to connect with the business community. Okay. Where people used to come, you know, immigration help means filling up the forms and all that stuff. Is so, it evangelistic? Yes, of course. Evangel evangelistic because the bookstore, you had access to the gospel through literature, through Jesus DVDs and everything. And from the very beginning, we, we had Moody students who were serving with us, or volunteers, and we always used to remind them and tell them, preach and pray. Please do not shy away from praying for people because people long. Aspect of prayer is powerful. So it, it has been uh, this uh, 25 years by God's grace this year. I loved talking with Sam Naman and hearing his story and the way he's focused on pointing people to Jesus Christ, both here and in his homeland. For more about the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, I invite you to visit firstpersoninterview.com. There, we'll place links to this outreach in the heart of Chicago's Little India, proclaiming Christ in word and deed, firstpersoninterview.com. A word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making this interview series possible. FEBC is active in Pakistan, India, and nearly 50 other countries of the world, also with the goal of proclaiming Christ to the nations. Listen to the podcast until all have heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. 
Thanks for listening to First Person. 